Good afternoon. Welcome to Pigeon Post. My name's Michael. Thank you for joining us. Um, nothing fancy. I'm just sitting in my car having lunch. <laughs> I'm a little late on this thing. I usually do it in the mornings. But I'm just glad that you're joining us. I know that some people are listening and reading with uh, friends, or maybe you're just listening on your own and just trying to, to dive deeper to know Jesus better in the Gospel of John. And uh, all the only goal that we have here, or that I have here, is to just help, right? Help move the story along, make sure we remember some things, and um, just kind of highlight a few things in the text. So a um, couple things before we dive in. If um, it feels like Jesus is always like going to Jerusalem and then leaving Jerusalem, or going to a feast and then causing trouble or getting in trouble and then leaving the feast, um, that is what's happening. But, you know, think about how three years feels. Three years is a long time. When I think about the last year, that feels like a long time ago, just for me and my family. Um, so keep in mind that Jesus' ministry lasted at least three years. And um, John is just selectively giving us things. Um, it appears that he's following a chronological order of sorts, but his main goal is to um, show us the light and life and grace and truth of Jesus in the stories that he's picked. He'll even say at the very end that he could fill up all the books in the world with things about Jesus. Um, so keep that in mind uh, if it feels like, man, wasn't he just at a feast arguing with the Jews or uh, weren't people just wanting to kill him? Yeah, this is something that kind of happened over the course of about three years. And by the time we get to chapter 13, we're at the last uh, couple days of Jesus' uh, life and, uh, before he goes to the cross. So, um, yeah, just I wanted you to keep time in mind um, because it might be kind of shocking um, that all this happened so quickly. Um, so today we're going to see Jesus heal someone, and we're also going to just highlight a couple of really important verses. We usually focus on the big picture, but I just want to highlight a few verses today, and uh, we can talk about that. So, uh, without further ado, my friend Ben is reading for us, and uh, I just want to say thank you to him. I think he's doing a great job, and I really enjoy um, when, when he reads uh, scripture for us. So, thanks a lot. Here we go. The Gospel of John, Chapter 5 After these things there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. And these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, 
Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately the man became well, and picked up his pallet, and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day, so the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, It is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin any more, so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, The Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself is doing. And the Father will show Him greater works than these, so that you will marvel." For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, Even so, he gave to the Son also to have life in himself, and he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, 
because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. Okay, so Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath day, and the religious leaders are upset because, in their view, he's breaking the Sabbath. So, real quick, I just wanted to point out that what's interesting here is Jesus doesn't make the same argument that he makes in other instances in other Gospels, like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, In those Gospels, um, he says something like, is it lawful to do good or do harm? You know, if you have an animal who falls, are you not going to help it up um, out of a ditch or something like that? He basically makes an argument from man's point of view. He says the Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Um, So he makes an argument in those Gospels that um, it's okay to do good on the Sabbath. Why would it not be? Um, That's not the intention behind the Sabbath. Um, But that's not what he says here. In fact, uh, John makes it really clear that Jesus' line of reasoning and his argument here is making himself equal with God. So keep in mind that Jesus was all man, yet without sin, and Jesus was all God. He was 100% man and 100% God. That's called um, the hypostatic union. He has two natures. He has a divine nature and a human nature. And uh, you can't separate those. But it's interesting that he goes to the divine nature to justify what he's doing. Um, Basically um, saying that he has the right to do it because he is the son. And the son always does what the father is doing. And the father is working on the Sabbath um, doing these good things. And so is he. So I thought that was really interesting that he makes makes the argument that he's God, and that's why he's working on the Sabbath. If you think about it, God doesn't stop working on the Sabbath. Um, He is still, Jesus Christ is still holding the universe together, making the sun come up and go down. We pray to the Lord to do things on the Sabbath. So um, they had accumulated their own rules and um, strange interpretations about what the Sabbath meant without even taking that into regard especially being that Jesus was the Messiah and he has divine privilege to do what he wants, when he wants. Um, the, the verse I wanted to highlight in this section was, um, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. In John, you're going to see people who look like they believe, even people who say they believe, who John says they believe, who just walk away the next moment. And my question is, are those people born again? Are they a new creature in Christ? I think the answer is pretty obvious that they're not. And um, when Jesus makes statements like this, that a person has passed from death to life and doesn't come into judgment, I think there's lots of implications. And I think we should be really careful 
um, the kind of teaching that we hear sometimes, which says that Christians can lose their salvation, get it back, lose it again, um, things like that really do not make sense with, with these statements by Christ. They're really not true to Scripture. Um, if a Christian um, can keep doing that, that means that you can be born again in Christ and then not born again and then born again. And John makes it clear that it's the Holy Spirit that's doing this work. So that would mean that God keeps making mistakes, right? <laughs> God keeps um, making you a brand new creature in Christ and then, oh, I take it back. You're not a new creature in Christ. Um, so I, I just wanted to address that because I think that's, that's one of the things that I look for um, when I'm looking for good teaching is, are, is there an affirmation that the new birth is a real thing that happens and makes us a new creature? Or is there this feeling that I'm constantly um, falling from grace and having to get back into grace by my own works? Um, which is not what John is teaching us here. Um, the other thing I'll say is that if Jesus says that we do not come into judgment once this happens, um, I think, how can we say that there is some sort of payment that we have to make after we die? Um, I'm mainly referring to the idea of purgatory. Um, it just does not fit with scripture. Um, Jesus is making these bold statements about eternal life and not coming into judgment. And that just doesn't fit with that idea. So I do want to challenge those ideas and um, want us to be aware of where in scripture does it conflict with those ideas? Because I think some of us are like, yeah, I don't believe that anyway. Yeah, but do you know why you don't believe it? You know, do you know where Jesus said something that pretty much rules those things out. Um, so just wanted to point those two things out. I think that that verse, verse 24, is just an awesome verse to memorize. And I guess, I, don't, I wasn't sure if I wanted to say this, but I think verse 29, when um, Jesus talks about those um, getting eternal life who've done good, you might read that and think it sounds like we're being saved by works, but it's really just the new birth carrying out and us producing the fruit from the new life that God's given us in Christ. Those that do good will inherit eternal life. And there are verses, but you can see that Jesus is teaching both things in the same passage. So um, that really throws us back to John 3. Think about the new birth. Think about, that's kind of the linchpin in all of this. Like it holds everything together. Um, it makes these things make sense. When you see people believing and not believing, and then Jesus saying, if you believe you have eternal life, you're like, what happened to those people? They were not born again. Whatever is born of God, John writes other in um, one of his letters, that which is born of God overcomes the world. So I just want to encourage you to um, hold on to those promises of God and don't be swayed. So um, now we're going to go into the last part of John chapter 5. The Gospel of John, Chapter 5 Continued You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man. 
But I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Okay, so let's finish talking about chapter 5, or at least highlight some things from chapter 5. Um, now, we got to be careful when we're using the highlighter. And what I mean by that is, um, you may have heard the phrase, never quote a Bible verse. <laughs> you may have not heard that. You might be like, what is this guy talking about? Never quote a Bible verse. Um, the idea is that you can take a single Bible verse, which by the way, those numbers and verse delineations, chapter and verse delineations, I'm sure you know, weren't there when it was originally written. They were added later just to help find things. But the idea is that you can't take one statement and um, take it out of context and make it say what you want it to say. Um, that's why it's so important that we're reading entire books of the Bible. So um, this is actually, uh, when we're looking at individual Bible verses right now, since we're keeping the context in mind, it's actually a really good thing um, to do, to quote a Bible verse. Because we're thinking about the author, we're thinking about the setting, we're thinking about um, who Jesus was talking to, um, why it was written, all those things. So that last verse just really jumped out at me. And um, it says, If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And so, this is something that's been a game changer for me. And that is realizing that the Old Testament 
is all about Jesus. Jesus says, Moses wrote about me. Well, when did Moses write about Jesus? I don't see the name Jesus anywhere in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, but what's cool is John's going to tell us some places that Moses wrote about Jesus. John's going to tell us um, that Isaiah wrote about Jesus. Um, he's already quoted Isaiah. He's going to kind of bookend that right before we go into chapter 13. So um, we're going to see shades and shadows of the Psalms when we get to chapter 10. So really cool uh, once you really get into that, looking for Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, the New Testament quotes the Old Testament so often, and it almost always quotes it Christologically, like in relationship to Christ and how Christ is fulfilling it. Um, I want to give you um, something else to read if you want to. Um, this chapter is so full of just huge thoughts. You could kind of take each verse and just have to study a lot to figure out like how it all kind of fits together. Um, but I picked a few that just kind of jumped out at me. And um, if you want some further reading on Moses uh, talking about Jesus and how the Old Testament kind of opens up for somebody, um, you could read 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 18. 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 18. Apparently I need my brakes looked at. They're squeaking pretty, pretty good here. Um, and I would encourage you to read all the way to the end of chapter 5, actually. If you start in 2 Corinthians um, 3 and read all the way to the end of 5, there's just some really great, great stuff in there. Um, but especially um, 3, 12 through 18 is relevant to um, what we're looking at. So uh, I think that's all I wanted to say. I, um, I thank you for joining us and reading with us. And I hope that um, this is good for you and it's showing you Jesus. Um, it's always good to read scripture and look for Jesus and to hear his words and allow them to change us and shape us. So we will see you tomorrow in John chapter 6. Bye-bye.